Welcome to the More Exemplary Podcast, a study in joyful living. I'm your host, Nick Bogner, a marriage and family therapist practicing in Pasadena, California. In this podcast, I'm talking to some of my favorite professionals, both inside and outside the world of therapy, to learn how they cultivate happiness by accessing their own joy and enriching the lives of others. Thanks for coming along for the ride. I'm so glad you're with us. Rebecca Doppelt is a clinician practicing in Los Angeles who has really cool and interesting ways of conceptualizing and working with betrayal. She was kind enough to share with me her own original treatment method, which blends trauma and grief therapy, and how she uses it to ease people's pain and teach them how to reparent themselves. I hope you enjoy it. Rebecca Doppelt, welcome. It's great to have you here on More Exemplary. It is a privilege on this, the month of Valentine's Day, to be able to talk to somebody about the topic of betrayal. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thank you, Nick Bogner. Uh, my name is Rebecca Doppelt. As you said, uh, I am an LMFT in Los Angeles. Uh, I am a trauma-informed, strength-based therapist, which means I want to know what's going well in addition to what do you want to change um, I like to look at a whole person. I want to know who you've been, who you are, who you want to be. I also want to know who are the important people around you so that if you make progress, we can help you strategize what to do with all the other people who react to your progress. Um, I particularly enjoy when we can infuse levity and humor into any given session or situation. I tend to see a lot of growth come from that. I love that. And the thing I love about a strengths-based approach is that I think it has to be especially helpful for an issue like this one, which is complicated and likely has a lot of shame involved in it. Um, So I'm glad that we're really coming at it from a strengths-based perspective. So why don't we start there? What is betrayal? Yes. So let's get a shared vocabulary. Betrayal is any time we expect a relationship to be safe and then we find out that it is not. Uh, So I use the term betrayal trauma synonymously with betrayal. And so let's just tease that out really quickly in case anybody doesn't know what I mean. Uh, So trauma is defined by Judith Herman as something that is so distressing or disturbing that we become overwhelmed and feel unable to cope or we feel powerless. So betrayal trauma is simply the disturbing, distressing, powerlessness reaction to finding out that we are unsafe when we expected that we were safe. Um, Betrayal is sometimes an attachment trauma and sometimes not, which we can get into in a moment. Um, But attachment trauma is what happens when the trauma is at the hands of an intimate person on whom we rely to get our needs met. So in a parent-child dyad, for example, the child relies on their parent for literally everything in their life. Mm -hmm. So if it is the parent who betrays the child, that is an attachment trauma. The same Mm -hmm. thing then is true in adulthood if it's, say, our intimate partner who betrays us. Uh, So there are obviously other forms of betrayal we can talk about. You know, maybe at another time about the macro betrayal that we see right now in our body politic, where the justice system fails a lot of people, where, um, you know, people are experiencing the betrayal of losing a loved one down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, etc. These are not the same type of attachment traumas, although they are under the umbrella of a betrayal trauma. 
Okay. Well, let me ask you, because you used a word there, two words. The first one, dyad, which is rad. That, that's a two-person relationship for all you um, lay persons out there. Second yeah. thing that you used is a word that I find often trips clients up, which is safety. I yeah. find very often, especially because I work a lot with men, when we use the word safety, people often think we mean physical safety, like the that's safety right. from physical injury. But I think that's not the kind of safety you're talking about. What kind of safety are you talking about? So I'm talking about emotional safety and the way that I define emotional safety in my work is that we are able to identify and feel our feelings in a given moment, mm -hmm. that we are able to express those feelings to the person with whom we're interacting without fear of repercussion, without fear that this person's going to hold it against us or punish us for having the feeling that we are expressing. Mm -hmm. We have an expression of the benefit of the doubt between the two people and that those two people can address the feelings collaboratively and move forward. Mm -hmm. So these are the tenets of emotional safety that I'm referring to. Okay. Yeah. That does sound safe when you describe it that way. Um, so let me ask you, what's the number one thing about betrayal that people don't know, but they should? Yeah. You know, betrayal, especially when we're talking about an attachment betrayal, mm -hmm. uh, betrayal tends to bring the same reaction as responding to violence. We see a trauma reaction much like with PTSD. We see people in shock, in fight or flight. We see denial and mood disorders and sleep disturbance and hypervigilance and all the things that we would attach to somebody who's experiencing domestic violence or combat or having seen some kind of horrific violent thing out on the street. Uh, and so people think, oh, this is just you know, something that happens in relationships. Oh, right, it's a breakup. Just, right. Yeah. Uh, this is just what happens before a breakup. No, what actually what we see is that this seeps into all the domains of life, which actually brings me to another point, which is why can't we just get over it? Right. Because if we are in fight or flight, if we are looking over our shoulder, whether that's literally or with all of the relationships around us, if I'm betrayed by my parent or my partner, I may suspect my boss is lying to me. I may suspect that the people that I see in my, you know, spiritual group are all judging me. I yeah. may think that, you know, my best friend is, is talking about me behind my back. I, it will seep into all of my domains of life. It will cause sleep disturbance. It might all affect right. my appetite. It might bring migraines. We see all the different elements of life affected by this. Mm -hmm. And so how do we just get over that? It's not just, oh, I'm going to break up. Right. Years ago, I had a betrayal of my own, a, a really massive one. And I can remember that my first instinct was to call my best friend. And I didn't because I thought, well, they might be fucking with me too. Right? right. Like it just didn't, it, it shattered my trust in everybody, not just in the person who actually betrayed my trust. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a very good reason for that. And so when I talk about betrayal, I use this term, the primal wound. And the reason I do that is because Erickson defined the stages of development as from birth to the end of year one is trust versus mistrust. Literally, the first thing we learn from the moment we are born, before we learn to walk, before we talk, before we learn to eat, mm -hmm. we learn, is our world safe? Right. We learn this because our primary caregivers meet our needs in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> if if an infant, yes, <laughs> if an infant is born and their caregivers are attentive and attuned and taking care of food, shelter, warmth, all of those things, the infant learns intrinsically mm-hmm. their world is safe. You know, we learn, I can trust others because we learn to trust that our caregivers will, will meet our needs. Right. So if in the first year of life, those caregivers are inconsistent or abusive or neglectful, right. the infant actually learns, my world is not safe. I cannot trust anyone. Right. And that becomes their personality. That becomes the worldview with which they view everything around them. Right. If we do have a solid foundation of trust in that first year of life, then even if we are betrayed later as adults, when we experience the betrayal, we regress even unconsciously back to that infant state. That's why I call it a primal loop. Because if I am an adult and my partner cheats on me and I find out about it, when I go into my shock, fight or flight, trauma response, I will, if I really tune into myself, I will feel like a child again. Mm. I'll feel like the infant who has, you know, called out for warmth or water and been denied. Right. And so this is why it is, it is such a different type of wound than, you know, just, just some other like a thing slight. that happens. Right. Well, and I think as clinicians, we often have seen um, people who have suffered that primal wound in the primary stage in that first year yeah. and just the, the tremendous amount of damage um, that it does to have a really frightening and unpredictable caregiver. So I can understand why as an adult, that would be super harmful. And it must make it harder for people to get help. um, If you're returning to this infant state, if you're in a place of really serious desperation over something that from the outside, I think, probably looks like a very grown up, kind of easily mediated issue. um, It must be really hard to get help from those around you if you're responding in a way that is, you know, traumatized. Right. Yes, exactly. Well, so how do people heal from this? Obviously, it, it's, it cuts deep. What can people do about it? Well, you call me. <laughs> okay, right. So this is your first thing. This, yes. Um, so I've put together a treatment model that is blending a trauma approach with a grief approach. Mm. Because when we talk about betrayal trauma and particularly attachment trauma, I mean, first, as with any trauma, we have to establish stabilization. If somebody feels that they are in fight or flight, if they are, you know, looking over their shoulder, if we are in a state of shock and denial, first we have to create safety, create boundaries, get somebody mm-hmm. to a point where they feel, okay, I'm stable, I'm contained, I can, I can look at this and feel regulated. Right. So that is the beginning. That is a trauma-focused approach. Mm-hmm. Once we get somebody feeling like they have a little bit more empowerment over themselves, we start pulling from a grief model. Mm. We have to grieve who we thought we were or who we thought our parent was or who right. we thought our partner was. We have to grieve what the relationship was mm-hmm. and also what we had hoped for. If I right. find out that I've been betrayed by my best friend, I have to grieve what I was hoping our relationship would become. Mm-hmm. So then we have to grieve the worldview. Oh, I was so innocent before. Oh, I, you know, never thought to check the phone bill before. Whatever the the actual nuances are, we have to grieve our old worldview 
and create a new one. And really at the end of this is a blend of healing, you know, healing from trauma, Mm post-traumatic growth, blended with creating a new identity, reinvesting in ourselves to create the new identity, the new worldview going forward so that we can forgive ourselves for forgive the pain that we have experienced and all of the shame responses that we had mm-hmm. and move forward without forgetting. Here's a question. So one of the things that I see a lot when people are healing from from these kind of portrayals is that they have to do what amounts to like a recontextualization of the the entire past relationship with the information that they know now. So if yeah. somebody's been married for 20 years and their partner cheats on them, then they have to go back and kind of re understand their own marriage with the understanding their partner was cheating on them or could cheat on them in a way that they didn't think before. And some relationships are are tenured for so long that that process is not instantaneous. It takes a long time. And so when you're talking about going through a grief period um, and a grief model, forgiving yourself, coming with a new identity, this sounds like a a reasonably big, large-scale project. Yes. I mean, I think this is part of why not only is this primal in the sense that it's bringing us back to this regressed state, but also because the longer the relationship, the more there is to dig into. And a lot of people, you know, whether it's an adult who is examining the betrayal of their parent in childhood, or whether it's the adult examining, you know, the, the partner who they've discovered has cheated on them, you know, there is often a reaction of, but things were so perfect. Right. Everything was so great. I had such an idyllic childhood. We had such a fantastic relationship until you did this thing. Right. And ultimately, when we find out that we've been betrayed, we also discover that that was not true, that that entire worldview needs to be reexamined, that things right. were not in fact perfect or idyllic. And so there's often, you know, some of the denial isn't just whether or not the betrayal happened, it's the denial of my perspective, of right. my, you know, retrospect of the thing. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this can be a very long, difficult road towards healing. And it's part of why it can be really difficult when we are impatient with the discomfort. None of us really, right. nobody likes discomfort. No, yeah, nobody's nobody see- likes nobody's discomfort. seeking it, right? Yeah. I want to feel better now. Right. And it is just so important to manage expectations that this does not happen that quickly. And right. even as we do the work of looking realistically at the relationship and examining ourselves and doing all of our personal work and helping us tolerate our feelings we also have to manage all of those other relationships around us. Right. If I'm healing from my partner cheating on me, I have to manage every time one of my friends asks me about it. Right. Every time someone in the family asks whether I'm going to stay with them or not. Mm-hmm. All of those things that come re-traumatize us right. each time in some form. So this is such a long, nuanced road towards healing. And it is so important to remember that it isn't just a magic bullet solution. Right. Well, and so with the understanding that there are so many pitfalls and it is such a long road, you know, what is what do people need to hear who need hope um, for this kind of situation? If somebody is, is looking down this road, they've just experienced a betrayal, what do they need to hear to know that they're going to get through it? Yeah, they need to know that there is hope, that there are steps forward that mm-hmm. – Feelings don't last forever. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us, whether we're talking about betrayal or not, whenever we feel something really uncomfortable, one of the big things that happens is this fear of like, I'm going to feel like this forever. I'm going to feel sad forever. It's going to swallow me up. 
Mm. I will never get out of this hole. Feelings don't work like that. When we look at the, you know, the neurobiology of feelings, we know that they're a tunnel, that we come to the end of them eventually. Mm-hmm. And actually, the more we allow ourselves to feel the feelings, the faster we move through the tunnel. Right. It's when we try to, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Oh, this is so terrible. I just don't want to feel it. I'm going to numb out. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to do whatever. We actually prolong the amount of time that that tunnel is going to live in our body and we make ourselves feel worse for longer. So there is hope. Feelings don't last forever. Nobody stays stuck forever. Nobody stays in the hole forever. It does take patience. It does take creating safety. And I really want to make sure that we're clear about this because particularly for the folks who have had betrayal after betrayal after betrayal in their lives, beginning with caregivers, I hear all the time, I've never felt safe. Mm. But no matter how you define safety, I've never had it's not it. mine, right. We get to reparent ourselves. Part of the investment process in ourselves whenever we're healing from trauma of any kind is that we become empowered to reparent ourselves, to make safety for ourselves, to figure out where is my safe space? I'm going to make it and nobody can take it from me. Mm -hmm. This is such an important place to be. And I have from a fantastic book called uh, Intimate Treason, there's this wonderful bill of rights about, I am allowed to make mistakes without being punished. I am allowed to speak up for my needs to be met. I am allowed to say no and have that be okay. And walking through all of these things and internalizing them for truth, eventually we create the safety for ourselves. And when we feel that we have control and power over that, again, because we're defining trauma as we right. get to a point where we're so overwhelmed, we feel like we are powerless. powerless. Yeah. When we have come to that place where I have created safety for myself, I have power over that. We can go anywhere from there. I love that. Okay. So now, and this is, and part of the way that we get there is by undergoing your regiment for betrayal recovery. And I'm delighted to know more about it. Two things. First off, can you break it down for me? Second thing, does it have a name? Question 2B, if it doesn't have a name, do I get to pick a name for it? (laughs) Go. Um, Okay. Well, I was calling it, well, I I was thinking eventually my book was going to be called The Primal Wound. And I was trying to come up with a name for the model, which I haven't yet. So I'm open to ideas. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to come up with something good. Honestly, Primal Wound sounds so iconic that I assumed somebody else already had it. Well, they have. <laughs> there is a book uh, that actually, it's, it's not unrelated, though. It defines the primal wound as what happens when um, an infant is given up at birth to adoptive parents, mm, which yep. could, in its own way, be the ultimate first betrayal, you know, de- depending right. on that situation. Sure. So I, I understand why that was named. as Why they stole that from you. Name. Yeah, you can't copyright titles. It's yeah. yours. Just take it. Yes. But but in terms of the model, I am open to ideas. If you'd like to send or spitball, I'm, I'm open to it. You did ask me something else right before. The yeah. Meeting. Just I don't remember me, what it was. Well, give me an outline because what I'm imagining is that people that are going to hear this, yeah. um, in addition to curious clinicians and people that already like what you do and what I do, is going to be people who are have gone through a betrayal or who are you know in that period of just relentless helplessness and trauma and grief that's so overwhelming and so discombobulating and it feels really lonely a lot of the time. And so if these people call you and they want to go through this journey with you, what does it look like? Yeah. So one of the really important things that 
it can be really freeing and it can be really frustrating. It depends on who you are, is that this is a nonlinear process. Meaning I can lay out my six steps of your healing, but you may jump around and step number three may be done instantly. And step number one may take the longest. That is a grief model, isn't it? That's okay. Yes, it is a grief model. (laughs) Because first and foremost, we have to acknowledge the betrayal, right? break through denial and acknowledge the betrayal and feel the feelings. But that in and of itself can take a long time. Yeah. We can be in the denial, even if it's, oh, I know this person cheated on me. We can be in the denial of, I, you know, the, there was lipstick on his collar and I missed it. You know, there, right. there are just so many things to work through here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, this has come up in some of the betrayal groups that I have run, you know, people who pass away suddenly, it is still a betrayal. Right. I expected you to be with me forever yeah. and I'm not, even if it was an accident. Right. People in a domestic violence situation, you know, I thought I could, I was safe with you and I wasn't. Yeah. Um, one, one instance that I saw, which, which was, you know, a very different type of betrayal was somebody who found out that her spouse was a con artist, had used a completely different name, had fabricated an entire history. Oh. You know, so we see so many different complicated complex instances here so fight you know identifying the betrayal is it sounds so simple and yet it is not and legitimizing it because i do i'm glad you pointed that out because it's very easy to talk about betrayals like they're all infidelities and it's true that there's a million super painful betrayals that have nothing to do with that kind of betrayal that's right that's right you know, there was there was one in particular that stood out to me so uh, profoundly, and it was uh, you know a woman who had been in a domestic violence situation for decades and sought help and wanted to get out and had a plan and a safety plan and a therapist and all these things so that she could get out of her domestic violence situation. And then her her heterosexual her husband died suddenly, oh. and there was this additional betrayal of. I was supposed to be able to leave you. I was supposed to come out of this feeling like I had won, like I had escaped you. And now you're hanging over my head forever because this is what I was left with. And so there is so, you know, the, the feelings are so complex. Sure. There is so much to unpack in terms of, what, you know, what was the relationship? Who were you? What were you going to do? What were you hoping that you were going to feel? What do you get to feel now? How do, what's your relationship to, you know, being a widow or a widower? It's so complicated. And so, yes, you know, it's a nonlinear grief model. It is. We have to, again, we always begin with, let's get somebody feeling like they're stable. Let's help them. Let's make sure they can sleep through the night. Let's make sure that they can Stabilize. Right. You know, functionality, baseline functionality. Yeah. Right. If somebody is still in the relationship with a person who betrayed them, this stabilization period looks very different than, oh, I'm reflecting on something that's happened and I, this person's not in my living space anymore. I get to stabilize a different way. So this is all highly individualized, Mm -hmm. but we create what I call bottom line boundaries. These are, these are the boundaries where if you break a bottom line boundary, I am out. The consequence is this is over. Right. So I'm using that. What was that? I'm stealing that from you and using it. I'm taking a note here so I can can take that. Thank you. Yeah. 
So we establish our bottom lines. We establish the safety, the framework. What do we need in order to feel like I can get out of bed? I can brush my teeth. I can eat a meal. I can go to work. I can go back to bed. Once we have that, we go through, again, non-linearly, but we go through, we identify all of the things that have happened. We break through the denial. We feel the feelings, which, you know, people like to put that step off till the end. Yeah, easier said than done. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Yeah. You know, fortunately, if you're working with a therapist with whom you really feel safe and connected, somebody who's really attuned to you, part of what our work here is, is to hold those feelings so that it's not... I'm alone. I feel all this pain and discomfort. I'm, I'm alone in it. I'm going to hold it with you. You know, it's video, but like, you know, we were, yeah, we'll just imagine that we're just holding it. Right. You know, I use a lot of EMDR and, you know, somatic work. And, and just trauma. to break in, uh, EMDR is eye movement resensitization, desensitization and reprocessing, which is a wonderful trauma therapy. If you haven't tried it before, go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but one of the exercises in EMDR I've really repurposed broadly uh, for betrayal work, trauma work, attachment work, et cetera, which is this idea of the container exercise, which is I have all of this unresolved, sticky, gross, sludgy feelings that I feel so disempowered by. I'm going to imagine a container I'm going to imagine putting them in that container. We're going to use bilateral stimulation. So we stimulate your brain into believing that this is really happening in your nervous system. We put all of that sludgy, gross stuff in the container. We lock it and we put it somewhere. So I have people who put their abusive parent or their betraying partner or, you know, their boss or whatever it is. We put them in a mason jar or the trunk of a car or right. whatever. Something very secure, very safe. With a lock, yes. Absolutely that, not just, you know. Right. We imagine we put it in there. We, we use, again, we use bilateral stimulation so that we really go through the process of, I am taking all of this. It is leaving my body. It is going into this container. We're going to put it somewhere. I've got someone, I've got one person storing a chest at the bottom of the ocean. I've got somebody else storing uh, a lockbox in my office. I can hold mm -hmm. it. Yep. My office has lots of space. We yeah, it's a nice office. I was just looking here. at it. Yeah. And that way, when we want to access them, we imagine we pull them out. We can unlock it. We can pull them out. But then we put them back. They can't come out. Right. Home, right. Right. Yeah. This can be a very helpful and empowering exercise when it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And to induce that, that kind of safety, it's a first step towards that stabilization and that safety that's so important in these right. relationships. And Speaking of, I mean, one of the things that I talk to clients all the time about forgiveness is I think that there's a big rush to forgive, yeah. but I don't know that you can forgive until you're safe. And this is something that I put in all the time is like, get safe first, and then you can yeah. decide what your forgiveness path will be or whether it will be. You know, I really am so glad you brought up forgiveness because this is such a difficult concept and it is so highly nuanced and individualized. And that's sort of my, that's the drum that I'm going to beat through this entire model. Everything's individualized. Um, but especially when I used to run betrayal groups, we would spend so much time talking about forgiveness. Um, so it is important for us, again, to have a shared vocabulary here. Forgiveness does not mean what you did to me was okay. It doesn't mean I'm going to forget it and move on as if it didn't happen. It doesn't mean I vow never to bring it up again. Right. No. Forgiveness means 
I let go of my anger. Right. I may bring this up with you again, but I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not me. carrying it for you, dickhead. Right, exactly. Right. Forgiveness is optional. And this is something that people have a really hard time with, particularly if you're doing couples work and mm -hmm. they've come in because of an infidelity, because sure. the person who is the betrayer, what often, not always, but often what they want is to be forgiven so that everybody can move forward. Right. Forgiveness is optional. Right. We particularly see people choosing not to forgive when it is the adult who is working through the betrayal of my parent betrayed me when I was a child. Right. That is most commonly when I see someone opt for, I am never going to forgive this. And that is okay. Yep. That in and of Totally itself, allowed. Totally allowed. Completely allowed. It's, and that's not the only instance. We can choose not to forgive for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. But we have to be able to examine, if I want to forgive, why do I want to forgive? What does that mean to me? How do I let go of the anger? What do I do with that anger? What, who am I without that anger? One of the reasons people carry anger and hurt is because we feel that it keeps us safe. It somehow right. is a yeah. shield or it Protective. prevents somebody else. You know, So identifying what it's doing for us and whether we want to let it go or not, you know, all the answers are correct. I love that. Yeah. So I regret deeply that we are out of time here, but I know that people are going to be listening to this and they are going to want to connect with you and to learn more about your incredible work with this and possibly to avail themselves of it. So how can people find you if they want to do that? Yes. So I have a website. It is RebeccaDoppelt.com, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-D-O-P-P-E-L-T.com. You can also find me on Psychology Today uh, under Rebecca Doppelt. It's a good place. To, it's a good place yeah. for somebody with your name to be located. Yes. Um, do you one last quick thing? Do you act because I've noticed that your consonants are right on? Is that a thing? Is that I mean I know a lot of us in LA have some intersection with that in the past. Is that an okay thing for me to ask? Yeah, that's fine. Um, I have been told that I punch my consonants before. Yeah, which is great. I, I, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Um, my mother uh, used to be an English teacher, so perhaps oh, there you go. that is part of it. What could it possibly? What could it possibly be? Okay. Really, she's going to listen to this and just be so thrilled that I gave her credit for my speech. That you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about primal wounds and parents, the stakes are probably pretty high for parents when their kids um, go to talk about parental traumatic wounds. It's probably like, oh, is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the one about me or not? So, you know, you I've thought about uh, there seems to be a need for a national support group for parents of therapists, because <laughs> when your child becomes a therapist, there is, I, I've seen this with everyone, this, sure. this sudden like, what did I do? Wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're off the hook, Rebecca's mom, for this episode. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. And I look forward to having you back some other time. Yeah, thank you for having me, Nick. This was delightful. That's it for this week on More Exemplary. One of the great joys I have in my career is getting to have exciting conversations and learn more about the exciting work my friends and colleagues are doing. I hope you never have to withstand a real betrayal, but if you do, then I strongly encourage you to learn more about Rebecca and what she can do for you. Otherwise, I hope you just go on being you and have a wonderful week. 
Folks, I just wanted to say thank you for joining me for season two of the More Exemplary podcast. Uh, It's been both a blast for me and a learning experience, and I'm happy to say that I'm going to take a short break, and then I'm going to come back on May 1st with season three. Season three is going to have more of an emphasis on human relationships um, and a good deal more question and answer as well as advice, and it should be a heap of fun. So I hope you have a wonderful March. I hope you take care of yourselves, be kind to yourselves, do everything you can for yourselves and for your community. Take care, and I'll see you on May 1st. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the More Exemplary Podcast. If you'd like to have a question answered on the More Exemplary Podcast, please send an email to moreexemplary at gmail.com. If you're interested in transforming your life, whether it's romantically, professionally, historically, or any other way through psychotherapy, please visit me at www.nickbognertherapy.com. If you love this podcast, please tell all your friends about it. And if you don't have any friends, then please tell some strangers about it in a not creepy way. Subscribing and leaving positive reviews helps me to be able to make more episodes of this podcast. And if you're still listening at this point, then I suspect you've fallen asleep with your earbuds in. Sleep well, and I can't wait to join you for the next episode of the More Exemplary Podcast.